so we're, we're kicking off the series, as they aptly uh, said, that we're kicking off the series on the, on the, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, okay? Uh, now, if you're not a church person, if you haven't grown up in church, you're like, who calls their book Acts? Like, isn't Acts, isn't that like a men's, like, you know, Under Armour, or not Under Armour, but you know, whatever, you know, something like that. It's like, why do you name something Acts? Well, Acts is short for Acts of the Apostles, okay, or the activities of the Apostles, or the actions of the Apostles. That's what, that's what Acts kind of stands for. And because we have these four Gospels, or these four kind of um, narratives of Jesus' life called the Gospels, and uh, they talk about what Jesus did and what he, how he lived and, and how he died and everything like that. And then we have the book of Acts that takes place uh, afterwards, okay? Pastor Richard, will you run this back to Roger, please? <laughs> so he can follow along and know when to put up, the, put up the PowerPoint slides. I forgot to give that to him when I, came, when I walked in this morning. Thank you, Pastor Richard. <laughs> So, yeah, so it's, so it's the Acts of the Apostles, which is really kind of a, a misnomer, okay? Uh, because as you read the book of Acts, it's not really the Acts of the Apostles that's front and center. They're the ones kind of, kind of you know, doing the activities, but it's really the one who's behind the scenes, who's working everything through and doing the activities, is really the Holy Spirit. And so the, the Acts of the Apostles could quite aptly be renamed or, or called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it's kind of funny because we just got done doing a whole series on the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do in our lives? And so that kind of begs the question, what happens actually when the Holy Spirit, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit invades our reality and invades our world? And the book of Acts is kind of exhibit A in answering that question. What does it look like when the, when the Holy Spirit really invades our reality in, in the hearts and minds of, of men and women? And so, um, so it's some, you read the book of Acts, it's some really exciting stuff. Okay, like God is doing some amazing, astounding things. You're reading this and you're like, holy cow. Like, I didn't, it's, I, you know, this is really even hard to believe sometimes, okay? And, uh, and it can kind of be like um, this weekend... Last night, actually, I had the chance, I had the opportunity to marry a young couple from our church. Actually, it was Levy, Levy Staddle, okay? He up here plays bass. And uh, he just graduated from Eau Claire and uh, got married to his lovely wife, Lauren. And, um, and it was a great day, great day, you know. It was a kind of overcast outside wedding, surrounded by friends and family. And, and as, soon, as soon as I pronounced them husband and wife, it's like the sun came out. It's like, oh, you know. And, uh, and so, uh, so then they had a, this great reception and, um, and, and if, if, if Levy and Lauren hold uh, true to form, uh, they're going to go off and they're going to have a little vacation for like the next week or so. They're going to go on their what? Their honeymoon. That's right. And on their honeymoon, um, because we have, uh, little years here this morning, they're going to do all sorts of crazy things, just all sorts of crazy things. They're going to have a lot of fun. And, uh, and, and they're going to have a lot of fun with, uh, with a frequency and regularity that they might never see the rest of their married life. Okay. I don't know these things from personal experience. I'm just told these things from 
other people. You know, so, uh, so anyway, so, and, and, you know, maybe later on in their lives, then they're, then they're old and decrepit and they're 52, you know, uh, you know, and then they, they pull out the, the photo albums from their wedding and their, you know, their reception and their honeymoon, and they're remembering all the fun that they had and everything like that, and, and particularly the husband sitting there going, huh, something's changed. You know, it doesn't happen to the same kind of frequency or regularity as it used to, you know, and they can look back on those days and say, why not? Why, why not anymore? And, and we can look at the book of Acts in kind of the same way. We can read the book of Acts and say, holy cow, 3,000 people are baptized in one day. You know, like people are being literally raised from the dead. And, and you, you can read the book of Acts and say, why isn't that happening today? Like with the same kind of regular intensity and frequency that we read of in the book of Acts. And, and there's, there's kind of two answers to that question. One is that, you know, the book of Acts, is, it's, it's kind of like the honeymoon period of, of the church. Church is just getting born. It's brand new. Crazy things are going on, happening. Uh, the second answer to that is that, that those kind of things still go on today. They still go on much, in much of the world. They see miracles happen, especially where the kingdom is breaking out. Um, but they may not happen to the same kind of frequency and regularity that we, that we see in uh, the book of Acts. Okay? And, uh, and, but it is really, it's still, we can read this and we can be inspired and encouraged and say, God, would you please still do these kinds of things in, in our day and age, okay? And so it's the beginning of this movement of Jesus Christ in our world, this, this movement that hasn't slowed down or abated in, in any way, okay? It continues on. It continues to, to move forward and gain momentum um, even in the last 100 years or so, okay? Uh, in 19, in the, around the 1950s, China experienced the Cultural Revolution, and they kicked out all the foreigners out of their country. And subsequently, that meant they kicked out all the missionaries out of, their, out of their country. And everybody in the missions world were wringing their hands and going, oh, this is terrible. You know, what are we going to do here and stuff like that? There's no more missionaries in China. And what happened is that Chinese believers gathered uh, up in the mountains, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they got in their faces before God, and they said, God, whatever it takes, we want to reach our countrymen for Christ. And the Holy Spirit fell on these people. And they went out and they did amazing things. And today, today, you know, 70 years later, they estimate that there's upwards to 100 million believers in China today. You know, they have like 30,000 baptisms a day in the country because, you know, there's so many people receiving Christ. Um, Africa is kind of the same way. In uh, 19, in around 1900, around the, the, the second turn of the century, two, two centuries ago, um, there is about 10 million followers of Jesus Christ on the whole of the continent of Africa. And today, uh, what they estimate is that there's 360 million followers of Jesus in Africa. It went from 10% of the population to 50% of the population of Africa. And so this movement that began in the book of Acts continues to this day. It still moves forward. It still goes on. It's still gaining momentum. Uh, but we get to read about its very start and its beginning right now uh, in the book of Acts. So I want to encourage you to turn in your Bible to the book of Acts. And uh, if you have one of the Story of God Bibles, you'll find that on page 755. 755. I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to take, kind of take some time to, to pick it apart a little bit. 
Acts chapter 1. I'm going to pray uh, before uh, you guys can continue to look for it. You can do that while I'm praying. That's okay. Uh, and then, then, uh, then we'll get into it. Father, I pray uh, that you would be faithful this morning, as you always are. Faithful to take the living word of God and by the spirit of God that you would apply it to our hearts. And that somehow here, this seed of the word of God would find good and fertile soil. And that would be changed people as a result of being exposed to your living word today. Father, we pray that we would not leave here unchanged. But that we'd be changed people because of the time we spent with you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, it starts out, chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his sufferings, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I just want to kind of pick this apart a little bit here. He starts off, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, about, wrote all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, so that brings up all sorts of questions, doesn't it? Okay, what is this former book? And who's writing this book? And, and who is this Theophilus that we're, that we're talking about here? All these, all these things kind of come up. Well, the book of Acts is actually a compendium novel. It's a follow-up to a first book that the, uh, the man Luke wrote. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so... He wrote that, and then Acts is kind of the subsequential book. It's the follow-up. It's like, you know, the next episode of uh, Luke, the gospel. And so if you're to read Luke, Luke talks about the fact that at the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, he says, hey, listen, I've taken this orderly account. I've done research. I've done interviews, and I've, and I've written up this historical, accurate, orderly account of the life of Jesus. And now he's just kind of continuing that. That orderly account of Jesus. And so if you were to turn over to your Bible, just like 20 pages, you'd get to the end of the Gospel of Luke, the narrative of the life of Jesus, the biography that he wrote. And um, in Luke chapter 24, at the very end, we'll put these verses up here, up, up on uh, the, the screen. It says, it says, he told them, okay, this is, this is the same thing that we're reading in Acts chapter 1, verses, you know, 7 and 8, okay? This is the same thing, but different in the book of Luke's, Luke. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father had promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay, so that's where Luke leaves off. 
Luke is now picking up in the book of Acts, and there's this kind of overlap, and he's restating this same scenario where Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's speaking to his, um, to his uh, apostles. So back in Acts chapter 1, you see, this, you see this here in verse 3. It says, after his sufferings, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, can you imagine? Imagine you're, that you are one of Jesus' followers, one of his apostles, one of his disciples. Okay, you hung out with him for three years. You did life with him. You ate with him. You talked with him. You walked along the road with him. You, he was your leader. And then you saw him die. You saw him crucified on the cross. You saw him taken down, dead. You saw him buried in a tomb. He was there for three days. And now here he is talking to you, eating with you. Like, does that just like blow your mind? Like, like every, what does that mean? What does that mean? Everything changes now. Like a person who died has now come back to life, fully alive and resurrection glory. This changes everything. The question that, that, that is obviously going through your head is, what happens next? Like, what happens now? Like, like this is crazy. Like, and and they, they ask, really, that, that question in verse 6. It says, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Of course you would think that. Like, you just rose from the dead. Now you get to do everything that the Old Testament told us about Messiah. You're going to come into the, come into the temple. You're going to put Israel back on top. We're going to be the epicenter of the world again, just like it was under David. You know, this is going to be cool. You know, the new, the, you know, the, the, the age to come is going to, going to be, in, uh, you know, inaugurated. But he answers them in verse 7. He says, hey, listen. It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus replied to his disciples at this point, you know, when they get outside and say, this is the kingdom going to come now and all that. And he says, he says, not so fast, not so fast, don't worry. Don't worry about the times or dates. That's not for you to worry about. That's my father has set the part. He says, you're going to receive power. And the power that you're going to receive is the Holy Spirit. He's going to come on you. He's going to fall on you. And as a result of, the whole, of receiving the Holy Spirit, you are going to go and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell other people about me. And you're, we're going to begin here in Jerusalem. And then we're going to go to the surrounding area. It's like we're going to begin here in Jackson. And then we're going to go do all of Washington County. And then he says we're going to do, go do the next you know, county over. We're going to go do Dodge County. We're going to do Samaria, at which point the disciples must have been like, wait, wait, Jesus, we thought you just said Samaria. You see, they hated the Samaritans. Okay? The Samaritans, they were walking through Samaria one time when Jesus was on earth. And the disciples, James and John, two brothers, came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn these people up? Because we will. Just say the word. We're, we're ready, you know. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not how we roll in the kingdom of God, you know. So, so they hate. But he says, you're going you're gonna to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then Judea, all of Judea, and then even in Samaria. And then it's, eventually you're going to go to the ends of the earth. And 
Acts 1.8 is actually kind of a thesis verse for the whole of the book of Acts, okay? Because what Acts 1.8 spells out then begins to happen and unfold for the rest of the book of Acts. They be, the, the, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, and all Jerusalem is filled with the teaching of the disciples. They, they you know, preach the risen Christ there in Jerusalem. And then they go to the surrounding area. They go to Judea. They're scattered, and they go out through, throughout Judea. And then, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and the Samaritans receive Christ. And, and the disciples have to get together a special council to say, can God do this? <laughs> is, this, is this even possible? You know, because it's jumping cultures now to non-Jewish people. Okay? And then at the, when you get to the end of the book of Acts, the end of the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul, and he is at that point sailing to Rome, which was then thought of as the end of the known world at that time. So Acts 1 is kind of this, this thesis verse for the whole of the book of Acts that we're going to be looking at this um, summer. But Jesus, this is, this is the big thing. This is the big thing. If you don't hear anything else that I say, just hear this right now. Jesus' expectation and anticipation for his followers is that as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit, they would then go and be his witnesses in the world. That they would go and witness about him, tell about him. That was Jesus' normal, that was his, his normal and natural expectation. That as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit, his followers would then go and be empowered to be witnesses and to tell other people about himself in the world. That that would be the normal and natural outflow of what happens when a person receives the Holy Spirit. Okay? Yeah. Uh, now, at this point in our year, there's all sorts of things happening at high schools and colleges all across the United States, right? right? You know, it says... Their kids are walking across the stage, and they're receiving their diplomas. Yes, they're receiving their diplomas. Their high school, some of the colleges have already gotten out. And, and they, they're walking across the stage, and they're receiving their diplomas. They're receiving their degrees, their education. And, and the whole point of, of getting that diploma is to go out and what? Go, and use it. Use it for something. You, you, you spent four years being an, uh, training to be an electrical engineer at MSOE, okay? Right, Stuart? Okay, you're... You're, you're MSOE, and, and, and at the end of four years, you, you, you pass all your tests, you've got all this training, got all this knowledge, got all this understanding, you get your diploma, and then you pronounce and announce to your parents, you know what, um, I've, I've got this wonderful plan. I am going to go, and I'm going to be a cashier at Walmart. Now, Roger might be a little bit uh, upset at that point, if, uh, if that was... His intentions, you know, like, why did we put you through four years of college, you know, electrical engineering school, so you can go and work? Now, nothing wrong with working at Walmart. If anyone works at Walmart here, you know, just, just that's not why you go to four years at MSOE. Okay? Or let's say you went to nursing school and you're studying to be a nurse practitioner. Okay? You have all this good, you know, training in, in healing people and, and just working with sick people and stuff like that. And at the end of, of all this nursing school that you had, you go out to be a, you get your degree or diploma to be a nurse practitioner. You say, you know what, I think, I'm, I think what I really want to do is I'm going to go flip burgers at McDonald's. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and you, you, if you put that up as a Facebook post, I, I can guarantee you I just got my diploma, nurse practitioner, and I'm going to go work at McDonald's. You would receive some responses to that Facebook post. A lot of the responses would be like, what? 
what are you doing that for? Like, why, why are you wasting that degree that you've got to go flip burgers? In the same way, Jesus never, ever anticipated that we would receive his Holy Spirit and not do something with it, particularly not go out and be his witnesses and tell people about him. That was his full expectation, that we would receive his Holy Spirit for a specific purpose. And he says here in Acts 1-8, he says in, in Luke 24, that you receive the Holy Spirit to empower you to go and be my witnesses. Now, some of us really need some of that power, some of that Holy Spirit power, right? Because how many of you get really, really excited about actually talking about Jesus to someone? Anyone? Anyone have any fear at all about that? Yes, I do. I, I, like, I, whenever I uh, think about talking to my friends about Jesus, I get sweaty palms and my voice cracks like I'm a 13-year-old kid, you know, and... Um, you know, and so there's certain things that the Holy Spirit gives us. One of the things that the Holy Spirit gives us is courage, okay? In Acts 4.31, we read this. Can you get that up there at all, Roger? So in Acts 4.31, it says this. The, the disciples get together. It says, after they prayed, the place where they're, they're meeting was shaken, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, there they are. They receive this fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They go out and they speak the word of God boldly. Boldly, okay, courageously. You know, one of the things the Holy Spirit gives you is courage. Courage to go out and and speak. Do things that you might not normally naturally uh, want to do. Another thing the Holy Spirit gives us is conviction. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples who are speaking are kind of pulled before the authorities of their day. And they're telling them, hey, listen, stop this. You know, you can't speak in this man's name. He says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this man's name, he said. Yet you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings, okay? That's conviction right there. They're like, like hey, this is from God, okay? This is God's way. This is God's plan. This is, this is the, the only thing that's going to save humanity. And they had this deep conviction, that helped them to stand up even to the authorities in the day. So when, so when the Holy Spirit comes on us, one of the things that he gives is courage, and the other things that he gives is conviction. So he says, you're gonna, Jesus says, you're going to receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes on you, okay? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you are going to be my witnesses, okay? This might not come as any surprise to anyone, but, but the primary means that God has always used to convey his message to other people is other people, okay? God always uses, primarily uses other people to, to speak about himself so that, that people may hear. Now, we might like to get creative and think of other ways that we, so we don't actually don't have to speak about it, you know? I remember I was in a uh, huge auditorium in uh, Urbana, the Urbana Conference uh, in 1987, and, um, and I, was, I was there, and I was, it was in this room of about 400 people in it. And the speaker in the front, he said this. He says, how many of you here have come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of hearing uh, a speaker on the radio? Some kind of message on the radio and stuff like that. And I looked around the room and no one raised their hand. And they said, how many of you here have come to faith in Jesus as a result of watching a television broadcast of some kind? And then I looked around the room and you know, like two hands went up. 
And he said, how many people here in this room have come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of a friend or a relative telling them about Jesus or taking them to church of some kind? And everybody's hands went up in the auditorium. Everybody's hands went up. And, and he says, see, that just proved my point. And he proved the point for all of us in the room, too, that Jesus' primary means of letting other people know about him is us. He really doesn't have a plan B. Now, we might want to try to get creative and think of things that we, so we don't have to go out and do that. Um, this is some of the things. Put the picture up of the billboard here. This is some of the ways that we do it, okay? With billboards, that'll do it. Yeah! Right? You know, beyond reasonable doubt, Jesus is alive, you know? And, and, and because, you know, uh, you know, that's our side, you know, we, we might drive by that and go, yeah, yeah, I agree with that, you know. But if you're a hardened, cynical, skeptical, non-church-going person, does, 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 this, does this really, like, does this draw you in? Or does this have the exact opposite effect? Yeah, it kind of has the exact opposite effect. If you're a cynical, skeptical person about religion, what you need to see is a flesh and blood person in front of you that has had their life changed by Jesus and lives in such a way. And he says, wow, you know, that couple, they used to fight all the time. And, and now they actually seem like they like each other, you know. Or that guy, I know he used to be addicted to heroin. And now he's been set free. Or that boss of mine. He used to be the biggest jerk. No one liked working for him. And now, all of a sudden, Nate's a really nice guy. Oh, sorry. Um, you know, he's a really nice guy, you know? Um, so, you know, this, this, the, uh, uh, just, a, you know, that they see the, the changed life of a person is, is what they see. And so, um, and so he says, and then so he says, you, you're going to be these means. And he says, he says then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to bear witness. In, and when we bear witness to something, it's not, not too complicated, okay? If you're, if you're called to be a bear witness in a court of law, what are you called to do? To give testimony to what you have seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. You're not to go beyond that. You're not to go make anything up or anything like that. You're not to go beyond your area of expertise at all. But you just need to share. Share what you've seen. Share what you've heard. And so when Jesus says you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to just... Share what you know, what you've seen me do, and what I'm doing in your life. And so if you're going to share about what Jesus is doing in your life, that's a profound challenge to some of us. Because in order to share what Jesus is doing in your life, Jesus needs to be doing something in your life, right? Yeah, he needs to be doing, he needs to be working, he needs to, you know. And so some of us, when you think about talking about Jesus or telling about Jesus, we think we've got to talk about that time, you know, 15 years ago when we, we were at camp and we walked an aisle or we raised our hand or something like that. But, you know, being a witness to Jesus, witnessing to what he's doing in your life right now. Like, what is he doing right now in your life? And you can talk very normally and naturally about what Jesus is doing right now. I have this friend. Her name is Jenny Ellison. Jenny uh, lives in Milwaukee. And when she first moved to Milwaukee, she lived in this apartment, and uh, the people next door to them were, were Indians. They were Sikhs, okay? And uh, so they befriended their, their Sikh neighbors, and she would go for a walk with, uh, with this Indian lady. And um, one of the times the, the lady asked her, she said, she said, so how's it going? 
And she said, well, you know, it's not really going that well right now. Um, I'm really wrestling with something. And she said, well, what are, you, what are you wrestling with? And she said, well, I, you know, I read in my Bible this week that Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. And, and I've come to realize that money has a real uh, stronghold in my life. I'm, I'm fearful of the fact that we're not going to have enough money. And so I'm really wrestling with this. And, and the, the woman is like, oh, wow, you know, I, I wrestle with those thoughts and those feelings too, you know. And uh, she, said, she said, well, what do you think about this? And she said, well, I don't know. And she said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to pray about it and, uh, you know, just see what happens. So the next week they got together and this, this Sikh woman, they were walking, the Sikh woman asked her, she said, so, so what's, what's going on? How are you doing with this, this issue of money that, uh, that you've been struggling with? And she said, well, you know what? My husband and I, we talked about it. We prayed about it. And we really want to obey Jesus in this area. And so we decided to give more of our money away because we felt like it's got a strong stronghold in our life. And as a result of doing that, we have actually seen God provide for us in some really amazing ways. And her Sikh friend was like, that is so cool. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of that before. And see, see, Jenny was able to share this with her friend. Why? Not because she knew the Bible. Not because... You know, she was pointing back to something that happened 20 years ago in her life. Jesus was doing something right now in her life. And he was changing her right now because she was being obedient to him as her leader. And she was able to share what she was struggling with to obey Jesus. And it really, really spoke to this, this Sikh lady. So he says, he says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You are going to be my witnesses. Okay, I work through people. You're going to bear testimony to what I'm doing in real life. And he says, he says, and you're going to be witnesses here in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when we start doing this and start doing this well, getting around to telling people about Jesus, who knows where God is going to send you? Who knows? Um, I have this friend up from, uh, from the West Bend site. His name is Steve, Steve Wirtz. He's a bass player. He may have even been here playing bass a few times. Steve is great. He's uber smart. Really, really smart guy. He works for Rockwell Automation. And they send him all over the world to troubleshoot for some of the stuff that they're doing. So he got sent over to Turkey one year uh, to go do some troubleshooting. He was working alongside this Turkish man for the entire week. They were just partnered up together. And this guy spoke English. And so Steve uh, did what you do. He just started asking him questions. After all, what's it like to live in Turkey? What's it like to live in Istanbul? You know, what's it like to, to be a Muslim? I don't know what it's like to be a Muslim. You know, so I just started asking questions. And so by the end of the week, the guy says, well, do you want to come over and meet my family? And Steve's like, well, sure. I'd love to. He says, well, he says, he says let me, before you fly back, let me take you over to my house and we'll have you over for dinner. So, so Steve goes over to this guy's house for dinner. Hits it off with his wife and, the, you know, the kids and stuff like that. And they just start up this great relationship. They then, the, the family, they say, well, you've got to come back with your wife, okay? So, so your leader, Steve and Suzanne, come back together. This is not a Rockwell's dime now. They, this is on their own dime. And they meet the whole family. And now they're considered part of the family. They've been to Turkey no less than ten times over there to visit these people. And he says, when we're with these people, we talk about life, we talk about faith, we talk about Jesus. In a Muslim context, it's very normal to talk about your faith like that. And he says, we have all sorts of great discussions. 
about Jesus Christ with our Turkish friends. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Who knows where God is going to take you? He says, he says listen, you're going you're to have the Holy Spirit come on you. You're going to receive power. You're going to go be my witnesses. And you're going to begin right where you're at. But it doesn't stop there. I want you to speak about me anywhere you go, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. The one thing that Jesus never anticipated, never expected, in his wildest dreams, is that we would receive the Holy Spirit and do nothing. Never once would that have entered his mind. So what is one thing that we can do this summer when the weather is warm, we can get outside? Who are the people in our lives who we love, who are close to, that we might get a chance to be witnesses to this summer? Maybe some of you might need some Holy Spirit courage this summer. Maybe some of us might need some Holy Spirit conviction. Okay, That doesn't mean be weird. We don't have to be weird just to be normal and natural and let the Holy Spirit guide the conversation. Let me pray. Father, I pray for all my friends here, Kettlebrook Jackson. Just a great group of people. I know you're doing so many cool things here. And um, we all read these verses from Acts chapter 1, and we're, we're, you know, we're convicted. We want to be witnesses for you. Some of us don't know how. We need to take baby steps, Lord. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us courage and give us conviction so that this summer, when it's appropriate to do so, when we've earned the right to be heard with our friends and our family and our neighbors, we might be able to speak about what you're doing in our lives, how you're changing us, how you're making us to be brand new people. We pray that you might get the glory. We thank you that you work through us and use even us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.